So two main things that we're going to hopefully get through by the end of the time together. One thing is that good things happen, and good things happen after bad things, or at least that you would know that it's okay when good things happen after bad things. So the first thing is we're going to look at good things and bad things, and the fact that there could be good things that happen after bad things. All right, the second thing is our perspective, the way that we look at the world, the way we see things through our eyes, as amazing as our eyes are, uh, is not the best reconstruction tool of reality. You know, and, and I love our, our justice system, right? Because so, so much of it is, who's the witnesses? But those witnesses sometimes can see a lot of things depending on things. So our eyes, the way you see the world when you live by sight is not the best way to determine what is the truth of a situation. You'll say, okay, well, I don't fully get it. And hopefully by the time we're done, you'll see what we mean. But good things can happen after bad things. You know, when someone's going through a very difficult time, a traumatic event, something that that is hard to deal with. You know, we have not that long ago in the summer, we had the Surfside building collapse. Those are difficult things. And, and for you, you know, maybe you haven't been through something that you think is traumatic, but I, we all have our version of what we go through and difficult things. You know, there's a comedian uh, who talks about, oh, it's the worst thing. I think I mentioned this joke last time I was teaching, now that I think about it. But, uh, you know, he's dropping his daughter off at the mall, and the friends are not there. And he's like, oh, Dad, my friends are not there. This is the worst, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, the worst. You know, you remember those Chilean miners that were in the, you know, in the cave, trapped for months and days, no food, didn't know they were going to survive. I mean, you know, they barely got out alive. That was pretty bad. But your friends not being here on time? Yes, that, that's the worst. That's the worst. So we have our level of what you've gone through that might have been difficult. And, and sometimes one of the hardest things to realize is that after something that is difficult, that's hard, or maybe when you're in the middle of something that's difficult and hard, to realize that still good things can happen. They, they're going, you know, maybe at the end, through it, in it, uh, good things can still be happening. And it's hard to do that. Now, if you think of people in the Bible that it's like, wow, that's a cool story. I couldn't think of one. And now I'm not going to even ask because one of you is super smart. You know, if you ask this in kids ministry, for sure they're going to find the one example that's not like this. But every single one of those cool, awesome Bible hero stories or amazing moments in the Bible, they all come because of a very difficult circumstance, right? I mean, David slew Goliath, you know, Man, he took on, he defeated the giant. Yeah, but that giant had been threatening the people of Israel for a long period of time. Everyone was scared of him. And, and even, even David, I'm sure, had his eyes on the Lord, but, you know, he still saw the giant. So that's a great story. And there's so many, the people, uh, the Hebrew children, right? The promised land is such a, what an amazing promise. God's blessing, the land filled with milk and honey. But that came after Right? There's slavery in Egypt being set free 
from Egypt, but going through that close encounter with Pharaoh where they thought they were going to die and the sea opened up and they crossed through it. Wow, what man, if I, I wanted to see how amazing God was. But those things happened because of very difficult times. Even that promised land, when they came to it, it says, hey, this is your land. But they didn't just walk into it and go, oh, thank you, and start setting up their own little, you know, coffee shops and, and, and whatever. They, every place they went into, there was an enemy there, and they had to still defeat that enemy and fight that battle. You know, the, the Hebrew children, they, they, as they saw their parents going through this, um, I don't think that their parents were, were giving their kids little participation ribbons during that time, well, you know. And, and I don't understand, but if all these great, amazing, Lazarus, Lazarus in the Bible, right? There's this uh, old Christian techno song, Lazarus, come forth, 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 forth. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that song. But Lazarus was dead. I mean, dead. He stunk. It said he smelled bad. Okay. I've been months and months and months, over a year, with very limited smell because of our wonderful uh, season we're living in. But he stunk, Lazarus. Mary was weeping. Mary was crying. Mary was not having a great time thinking uh, of the situation. Jesus was delayed and, you know, almost Jesus was to blame. How could you have taken so long? He's dead. And what are you thinking? And what an amazing moment when Lazarus was raised from the dead. But that came through the midst of a lot of suffering and a lot of difficult things to deal with, right? Even, I mean, the biggest sufferer, Job, right? Job, I mean, he was told by his wife, deny God and die. I mean, that's, that's, that's your wife. She's supposed, to guide, she's supposed to have your back. So even Job, but at the end of his life, what happened? If you thought Job, and if you read Job, he had a lot of things. If you look at how many cattle died, how many things he had that he lost, and it says that then he was restored at the end twice as much as he had in the beginning. Oh, I love that part. I want that twice as much. But man, when you look at the story of Job, you see that there, throughout the whole thing, um, it was tough. It was tough. So if these amazing moments that we look at people in the Bible or we look at even people we look up to and say, man, this thing that this person did, this circumstance or this thing that happened in their life is so amazing. And usually, most of the time that I've seen it, it comes after a big struggle or a big difficulty or a really big problem. Why are we not allowing our kids to go through some difficulties? Right? It's the idea of like, no, no, everything has to be done for them. And like, pobrecito. That's one, I can't stand pobrecito. Not, I mean, pobrecito, they live in the U.S. They're not pobrecito, man. They're doing all right. And so we, 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 we you know, we got these participation awards. We got a, a basketball team in Lighthouse. We just started doing some after school sports. And the girls wanted to uh, join this little middle school basketball team. And their first game was interesting. Then their next game was interesting. We, could, we didn't even have a practice. It was the same team we played twice. Then they got one practice in, and they went to the next game. They lost like 30-something to, to like 10, but they, no one had to tell them, wow, what a great job you did, because they felt 
what a great job they did that day. They knew we are not those same girls playing that same game last week. We, we, we've, wow. So that idea of like, no, make it easy. Don't give them a struggle. Don't give them a challenge. Is, it's not training our kids up like in Proverbs says. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. That word training is it's the same word you use when you, you know, you're getting military guys ready, when you're getting, I mean, you train them, a, a, a train. You, you train for a battle. And so as, as we train our kids up in the things of the Lord, um, man, we, there has to be struggle. There has to be challenges. We have to allow them. We have to do that. Now, are these some of the things that we might be looking for in our life? And, and just think about it now, and it'll come back later on. But would we want each of us to have increased personal strength? Would each of us want a deeper, more meaningful relationships? Is that something we would want? Meaningful and, more, and deeper relationships. A greater appreciation for the small things in life. So are these things we want? Would we want a richer spiritual life? Would we want new possibilities tomorrow and in the future? I think all of us want those things. Now just remember that because we get these things not in the, in the way we might think. And so it's either going to be a, a struggle or it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle or a battle. And a lot of people are like, I'm struggling. We're, we're with the young adults on, on Monday, and it's, I'm struggling. Not, not they weren't struggling. They were, they were warriors. They were in the battle. But we were talking about struggles. And, and, and that idea of someone that's struggling, their struggles, it, it comes from a place of defeat. It, it comes from already a, like, I can't win this thing. It's too hard. It's a big struggle. And the way you would go into it even changes, Right? Compared to when you think of the same situation, but think of it as a battle, now what do you do for a battle? Man, you train for a battle. Sometimes you lose some battles, but that battle prepared you for the next battle. And if you think, man, if I was to face that again, I would defeat it this way. And that idea of training for a battle. In our effort, a lot of Christians have a lot of effort. That's that firework Christian, right? A lot of effort. But effort is only going to get you so far. Effort's only going to get you so far. Your, your, your body, in a sense, if you think of it physically, you can have someone that's trained for a marathon their whole life. And they've been training and training and they've run and they've run and they've run. And their body is conditioned. And then you have a guy who's like, I'm going to do this thing. You know, but eta, you know, the things are flopping and it's like, I'm going to get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this marathon. They both are going to take off. Who's your money going to be, you know, who's, what's your bet on? The guy who's been training or the guy who just has a lot of effort? I'm going to put it all on the line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go till I drop. And like three blocks later. You ever not ran for a really long time and started running? I mean, you maybe have a block in you. You might think in your mind you're going to go on for miles. But after like 0.2 miles... Your, your heart is like out here. You think you're literally going to have a heart attack. It's insane. 
And that's how we go through our Christian life. Like, we go through it like if everything is, is fine, but when that big trial comes, oh, I'll be ready for it. And we're not. That's, that's not. At least that's not the way I see the Word of God instructing us to live our Christian life. Not as a struggle. We live our Christian life and it's a battle. Now, it's not just our this, you know, raw discipline that's going to get us anywhere. Because, I mean, discipline will definitely get you further than just your effort, but it becomes that we need God's grace, and that's where it comes from. And now you're like, are you going to just talk or are you going to read the Bible? We're going we're gonna to read the Bible, but since we're not going through a Bible, right, it's one, one time we teach, so it's, it's maybe more topical, right? But we're going to go through. We're looking at struggles and battles in our Christian life. So God's grace, and we know that verse, right, the battle belongs to the Lord, or at least we know Mr. Jose Every time uh, Mr. Jose Casas, right? Every time he teaches or there's something, he's like, the battle belongs to the Lord. And it's a reminder because it is a battle. You're the one in the battle, but it's not yours, right? It belongs to the Lord. And so there is a training involved. There is, a, there is discipline involved, but it's God's battle. And Jesus, right? We looked at all these other characters. Jesus himself. I mean, what better event amazing good thing is the resurrection you can't get better than that right the resurrection is that's i mean that's how we're able to be here that's where god's grace is able to be received by us because he died for our sins but then he rose again but he died for our sins right he undeservingly was betrayed he took on the penalty of all the sins of the world and it was there in that dark, dark, dark place where the resurrection of Jesus is able to occur. Right? It wasn't that mommy and daddy had this great life and all of a sudden Jesus had this amazing victory. It was, it was in the middle of very difficult things. And we looked at that verse last time we were together, or one of the other times, nevertheless. Right? Now, it's a good quiz. Since the time you heard the last teaching that I was able to share when we talked about nevertheless, have you nevertheless in your life, you know, have you said, yeah, this is hard, this is this, is this, I don't like it, nevertheless, and then what Jesus said, right, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's the battle. And so Jesus demonstrated he didn't necessarily want or enjoy it. He didn't want to be in that traumatic, tragic, dark place, but he prayed there, nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. He said, man, the only way through this thing, or the only way out is going through it. And he was willing to, and he did. And there was growth, there was life that happened. Because Jesus says, I don't want to just get out. I know that the way out is to go through it. So if you're in the middle of a struggle or a battle... Sometimes the only way to get through it is you got to get to that end. Take away the choices from your life. Yeah, but it's so hard to stop all those things. The only way I get out of this thing is I got to get to the end somehow. And the only way you're going to get to the end is through and by the Lord. So Romans chapter 5 verse 3. Romans, in case you thought everything I'm saying, but give me the, the verses. I want to read the Bible. Absolutely, we want to read the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 
It says, Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let me read it in another version. I'm not sure the name of it, but it's an easy reading version. Uh, let me read it to you. It says, We are happy even when we have troubles and pain. That is because we know that those troubles help us to become patient and strong. And we, when we remain strong, we show that we trust God. When we trust God like that, it causes us to hope for God. When we hope like that, it will not disappoint us. That is because we know that God loves us very much. God has given his Holy Spirit to be with us. And the Holy Spirit causes us to know God's love very well. James chapter 1 verse 3. If you want to go there, James chapter 1. It's towards the back of the Bible. And then another question besides do we want those things in our life, deeper relationships, uh, all those things. Uh, would we want to not lack anything in our life? My answer, if someone asks me, it's like, yeah, I would want to not lack anything in my life. Again, I don't like the way that it's telling me I'm going to get there. But it's the way that the Bible tells me I'm going to get there. So I got to believe it. James chapter 1 verse 3 says, how do you get to a place in your life where you lack nothing? James chapter 1 verse 3, it says, knowing that the testing, well, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, difficult time, bad things. Knowing that the bad things, the trials, the testing of your faith produces patience. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, who still wants to be lacking nothing, right? Wait, I, I want to be lacking nothing. I don't want the trial and the struggle and the bad things. But that's how it says we get to that place, that address. You know, you could be, you know, the guys who don't use the, the you know, navigation on their, on their smartphone or wherever, right? I know how to get there in some new place you're visiting for the first time. Um, I mean, <laughs> sometimes you might need to trust that little navigation Because you try and you try and you get to somewhere you don't want to be. And you realize, I remember before I knew the streets very well, I was in high school, maybe in college. And I had a friend that went to the Art Institute in downtown. And I'm like, I know how to get there. It's like, why do you always go to Biscayne all, all the way to Bayside and then go around? Why do you do that? Just cut through right here. So I said, I know. I know the streets of Miami. So I cut through right there. And let me tell you, I was, a, I was, I was scared. Now I know the area is better, but I, 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 I didn't reach, I, you know, I'm, I kind of reached a destination, but not in the way I wanted to. So if our destination, if where we want to get to is lacking nothing, to be complete, to be perfected, well, we go through the testing of our faith. Look at verse 12, James 1 verse 12. It says, blessed is the man. Who doesn't want to be blessed? People say, I'm a blessed man. Blessed is the man 
who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But God loves you. Do you know that God loves you? And this is God. So as parents, we got to take our example from God. God says that he loves his children. He loves you. And that through enduring the trial or the temptation, you'll receive this promise of his. As parents, we have to somehow emulate that in our homes. We have to see our kids endure some of those trials and go through it. Not because we hate them and we want them to suffer, but because if they learn to suffer in those little things now, when they get to be at an age where they're older and on their own, they at least have a, a history of learning how to deal with some of those struggles. But what happens is 30-year-old kids, right, they've never struggled. And it, it pampered their whole life. And then what happens when they get the small, the boss says, hey, pick that up right now. What are you doing? Oh, oh. And it's a huge thing. It's this little, no, he's just... He just said, pick that thing up. It's not a really, really not a big deal. And then what happens? Man, you're, they, they scream. They do, they do the same thing like when they were little kids, right? They scream and they'll throw something. and uh, Because they were used to, if I go through something I don't like, I kick and scream, I throw a tantrum, my mom ends up giving me what I want anyway, it's easier that way. It's easier to throw a tantrum and get what I want than suffer, work hard, and do it. It's not as rewarding, but it is easier. So that idea of enduring, perseverance, the struggle, man, good things happen after some bad things. And, and I say bad things almost in quotes, because are they really bad things, right? Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, verse 13. I'll just read it to you. It says, In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it talked about there in, uh, in the verse in Romans about the Holy Spirit that causes you to know God's love. It says the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in our hearts and he's in his showing us and he's demonstrating and he's revealing God's love. So Ephesians there is telling us that, man, it's that Holy Spirit. That's, that's that promise. And that's where our trust goes. That's where the truth is from. I'm going to read to you, this was a forward in a book that I was given and, and through some, some reading, but it's from a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And so I'm just going to read it to you, and it's obviously some of their struggles, but bear with me, it's not that long. So it's not as much, it says, it's not much fun being a prisoner of war for one hour, much less 2,103 days. That's how long I spent as a POW during the Vietnam War, from 1967 to 1973, living in the ironically named Hanoi Hilton. The torture, physical, mental anguish, and feelings of loss and abandonment are experiences that no person should ever endure. And while I wouldn't wish six years as a POW on anyone, 
I have to say these were undoubtedly the years in my life that I grew the strongest and matured the most. I learned that just because you're in prison doesn't mean you're a prisoner. My cramped cell measured about eight feet wide by eight feet long, but the real prison was eight inches wide between my two ears. My challenge above all was, was in my mind, in my heart. Through a deep sense of connection with my fellow POWs, the remarkable leadership provided by James Stockdale and others renewed a sense of faith, confidence, and mission, and a great deal of time in solitude and self-reflection. I was able to endure the experience. More importantly, I was able to use it as fuel to live a life of purpose, service, connection, and growth. My story of resilience and endurance is not the exception. Among the 591 men who returned home with me in 1973, growth was the rule. While over 30% of all Vietnam veterans returned home dealing with PTSD, only 4% of the POWs faced the same difficulties. Perhaps even more remarkable than the 4% is our collective effort. It says the men who return home from the nine months and 10 years in captivity are living fulfilling, self-oriented, and successful lives compared to the non-POW naval aviators that we report, we report greater satisfaction on every key measure of our life. It's a growth experience, post-traumatic growth, they call it. It says, allowing what didn't kill you to make you stronger. The idea that times of deep struggle can cultivate a profound and abiding sense of strength and growth is a notion as old as humankind. And he points to the scriptures. And then he says, those ancient stories teach us, in combination with more modern ones, like my own, that when we struggle deeply, we are forced to engage in self-reflection and introspection, contemplating what truly matters in our life, what often results is growth in these five areas, which are the five areas that I read before that I think all of us would say, yeah, I want to do better in those. I would love to have my life focused on those. And those five areas were increased personal strength, a deeper and more meaningful relationship with others, greater appreciation for the small things in life, a richer spiritual or religious life, and new possibilities for the days ahead. And never forget, we only get so many struggles in life, it's a terrible thing to waste any of them. Captain Charlie Plum, retired U.S. Navy. So we know these things to be true, the struggles, the trials in our life, Psalm 23, right? God is our shepherd. He's a good shepherd. But it has that verse in there, right? You're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say you're going to skip over it because your God's, God loves you so much. And he's going to not allow you to go through valleys. Says, no, you're going to go through the valley. Now, the, the other key word there is that it's a shadow of death. So sometimes our perception, death is not going to touch you. Death is not going to get you. Separation from God, that, that death of the spirit, man, God is with you in the valley, but the shadow is still there. And sometimes just our perception can, can 
can mess with us, can mess with our mind. Think about um, someone and their perceptions, right? There's some people in my family, my mom, who will not go in the ocean. I mean, will not go in the ocean. She, she, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm using her as an example. I don't even see her here. I didn't even ask her for permission. But there's maybe others like this. But you, you literally almost believe that if I jump off a boat in the ocean, I will get eaten by a shark. Like, that is the perception. That's, don't, you won't convince otherwise. That's what's going to happen. I've jumped off a boat. I love it. It's so much fun and refreshing water. I've never been eaten by a shark. A lot of people jump off and swim in the water and are in the beach and in the ocean and don't get eaten by a shark. But sometimes just a shadow of it, 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 it will, you will physically have a reaction. You will, like, your body will not do something because just the thought of it, right? When it's sometimes dark and you hear a scary noise, it could have been nothing. But in your mind, like, you're, someone's in your house, they have a mask, and they're taking your kids already. Because that, and then you go outside and it's, and it's nothing, right? But just your perception of something, it, 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 it it does a lot. Your perspective. In John 10, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. But John 10, verse 7. Actually, we could turn there. This is John 10, verse 7. So maybe you're in the middle of a struggle. Maybe your friends are in a struggle. Maybe you're going through a tough time. You're in a battle. John 10 verse 7 says, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came... Before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So that is what God does for us. The gates open. He allows you in. He allows you out. You find good pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. So this is what Jesus is telling his sheep, right? Us. I have come. Why did Jesus come? That you would have life, and you would have life abundantly. A lot of it, a good amount of it. You would have good things. Abundantly is is good things. But again, sometimes... We know that as a truth, right? That's the truth. That that's what he came. That's what he desires for us. But are we living by that same truth? The choices we make, the way we go through things. Are we living thinking, God, you came and you came that I would have life abundantly. Sure doesn't feel abundantly right now, we might say, right? But sometimes it's just your perspective that's off. Sometimes it's just my perspective that's off. And again, our, our, our natural senses alone, they're not very good at making a real construct of the truth. 
it, it, they're, they're, they're skewed. Our reactions, the way of going through something, uh, it has a lot to do with our perception. Again, the way I physically react a lot of times has to do with my perception of what is actually happening. Some people, again, I mentioned, right, the, the different things that might uh, scare us. Now, just for some fun, we'll, we'll have uh, some images to check our perspective, right, our, our perception. So we can see we can't really trust our perception. So I think I have an image there. It'll come up any minute. Which one? Okay. So are those lines slanted? Right? Raise your hand if you think they're slanted, Right? Now, if you're like, I'm so smart, I know they're not, but they look slanted, guy P. If you don't see them slanted, something's wrong with your eyesight. They look slanted, but in reality, they're actually not slanted, right? So there should be another side. You just put a black line. That's the image. They're actually parallel. They're not slanted at all. Go back to the other one. Just go back and forth for a second. They, they, they put the images to different sizes, but... If you were overlapped them, I did it with the, with the kids this morning. The lines, they're parallel. If you focus on the little black squares, they're completely parallel. Our perception can mess us up. If you live by sight, you're going to think something is slanted while the whole time it was parallel. And then just for old school memories, we have this other one. Remember this one? Who sees, raise your hand, if you see blue and black. Raise your hand if you see white and gold, right? Isn't that, okay, you can turn it off. Same group of people, same image. It's your perception, your perspective, your brain. It's based, it's based on, on a whole bunch of factors, right? Now, are you going to trust, are you going to live by, say, by sight or are you going to live by faith? We clearly see that even in a simple little picture experiment, our sight alone is going to let us down. You look at a problem and you say, this is the worst thing ever. There's no way out. I'm, I'm, I, 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 this is too hard. I can't deal with it. And, and that's your perception. But, but man, when, when you live by faith and you realize, wait a minute, there's a truth. God came. Jesus came. He's my good shepherd. He says, I'm going to give you life, and I'm giving you life abundantly. Whatever you go through has to fit into that, because that is the truth. That's the reality. Everything else we might perceive or see around us that's off of that, of off of the Word of God, is, is a perception. It's a perspective. And so when we're going through a struggle, a battle, trials, we need to be certain of things around us. And there's some things that help us with that. So one of the things that helps you with, because even again, if even your effort alone, it won't get it for you. Like if I'm going through a really terrible time and it's overwhelming, my alone, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm still going to feel bad. Like I, sometimes that helps for a little bit, but there's certain things that uh, will also help you. And one of them is friends, the people around your life, the mentors, the, the pastors, the people you're going to surround yourself by, people you look up to. If you're going to only bombard yourself with the world, social media, if you're going to fill your life up with social media and that perspective, 
man, you're, you're going to have a skewed perspective. But when you get the word of God, when you have people around you that are going to be godly influences, when, you, when you're receiving the word of God, teaching, you're reading the word of God, man, that's going to help focus your life. So friends, we're going to need friends. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, we could turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11. There are so many good examples, though, of, of uh, perspective, right? Like, when I was growing up, and while we're turning there, I might as well share it, right? When I was growing up, if I went, now some of you are going to be like, no, that's the truth, Adrian. Don't say that. You're spreading lies. If I went in the pool after I ate something, I was going to die. My grandma, she was convinced. I, I, was, I was a rare exception and a miracle because I ate gigantic Taco Bell. My sports in high school were water polo and swimming. I was always in the water. Guess what I did a lot? I ate, and I'm still alive. Now it's like, yeah, it's just you, but you're going to die if you go in the water. Te va a dar una embolia. Porque un tío y el amigo con el cousin over there. Right? Those are perceptions, right? I mean, even a shower, like you have to wait an hour or two to take it. Like, it was crazy, you know? Um, I, I used to love that show Mythbusters, right? Things that people perceived that were true and, and, and they were either sometimes proven or not proven, but so many, uh, so many things like that. It was, we can go on. But we're there in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And uh, so we need, in order to go through the battle, in order to go through it with the right perspective, to know that we're going to be able to get through those hard times, to know that there's still good things that can still happen, even if in the middle of the bad thing you don't realize it, one of the things that helps us through that is the people around us and us doing this for one another as well. It says we, incur, we comfort one another and we edify, we help build other people up as we're doing. I mean, you guys are here Wednesday, so you guys are part of the group that's in this group. Surround yourselves by those people to build yourself up. 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us something about bad friends. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. So you want the character to get messed up. You want your life, the integrity of your life to, to get marred, to get dirty, to get messed up, to be corrupted. Man, bad company corrupts good character. In Proverbs, it tells us um, that we have a friend, a friend that's reliable, right? In Proverbs 18.24, we need reliable friends, friends that we know are going to be there. You know, I remember a long time ago, I don't think anyone here was in that group. Maybe some. But they were playing football at the old 67th Avenue property. And unbeknownst to us, in the backyard of one of the houses, remember we had the church and a couple of the houses behind the church, they had a tendedera pole, right? Those poles where they would hang clothes. At some point, before we ever knew it, that pole was cut and it was under the grass and it still had a sharp edge. And so they're playing football and someone falls right on that one little edge. 
and there was a flap thing going on, right? That boy had no friends. <laughs> because as soon as that happens, you hear, ah, and you look, and it's one kid in the middle of the grass by himself. It's like, I mean, literally, you couldn't even see the other ones. They were, I they were hiding. Like, we were like, what were they doing? I'm like, that's messed up, man. You want to you have reliable friends, not just while you're having fun playing basketball or football, but if you fall and you get hurt, you want them to be ones that are going to help you. Now, there's, there's a training that still comes with that, right? There's a training. There's a, there's a certain way I will live my life on purpose, things I would do to be a reliable friend. It, it's not just something that, like, happens and more importantly even than than those friends are what those friends are bringing you to which is God's truth God's truth through the battle we can't lose that perspective or we're living on the earthly things we're not looking at the heavenly things like Colossians tells us and it's hard to break out of some of these perceived perspectives you know, sometimes you hear people say things like, no, but I'm like this because this thing or that thing. And they're stuck on this is the way I am. And so they've already convinced themselves, I'm not changing, I'm, I'm, I'm like this. Man, when you come to the Lord, it says, we're a new creation. Even Paul says, I was this stuff. Back there I was, but not anymore. You have people in here, now, now you're going to get scared and you're going to start looking around. Who? You have people in here who, man, they were killers. No, maybe not literally. But they, man, they were, they were mean. I mean, their idea of winning a fight was, was one punch. I mean, they take you down. You look at them and you see their lives and that's who I was. I'm not that person anymore. Some people, maybe it was alcohol or, or whatever other thing. The other idea, the other thought is um, with perspective is how easily the enemy can use that to convince us of some false truths, right? There's a lot of things about how do you feel. You, you really are going to trust your feelings. Like those never let you down. <laughs> They're always good. They're always right. It's not about your feelings, right? We got to say where and what is the truth that's my, some people, right, they use that word, my true north, right? But, but we need that compass. If a compass works, you say, man, is this company, is this a compass, is this a, 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 a compass that has integrity, it, you know, that's not going to mess me up? Because if you touch it and you move and the little thing doesn't move, that's, that's not a compass you want to trust. You want to trust one that tells you ex there's only one way north will point to and it works. That's a compass of integrity, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, it says, Most men proclaim each his own goodness. That's his own perspective. That's the world. That's what they're going to proclaim. It says, But who can find the faithful man? The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children will be blessed after him. The Webster Dictionary defines integrity as an unimpaired condition of soundness, Adherence to a code of moral values and the quality or state of being complete and undivided. Integrity. 
unimpaired soundness, completeness, honesty. Remember James 1 verse 3, you will be made perfect and complete. I was reading something by, uh, uh, Billy Graham wrote it actually, and he said there's five things, four, four things. Oh, this wasn't Billy Graham. This was John Corson, actually, in an old book that I had that I saw. And he said these four things uh, come from integrity. And it comes from that Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 and 7. And, and it says, um, integrity profits our family. We see there, his children are blessed. When you're a person of integrity, meaning you know the right direction, and that's where you're going to go. It's a person of integrity. You're not skewed in your direction. You ever do that little thing where you spin around the back? You go like that, and you spin around, and then you try to walk toward, you know, and you, you ever done that little game? Just try it. It feels really fun. When you get home, get a baseball bat, spin around it 20 times, and then try to walk. Great things happen. Make sure someone's recording. But integrity is, I'm walking in that direction. Nothing's impairing that. Well, integrity, it's going to, Bless your, is going to profit your family. It's going to provide direction, right? It says that the man with integrity, it says he walks in his integrity. So it's going to provide direction. The person of integrity is going to also be protected from iniquity because it's the righteous man. There's righteousness that comes from it. And it's going to produce stability, mental, spiritual, physical stability, Men who proclaim, it says, their own goodness, that's not a stable man. What's my goodness? I don't have goodness. The fact that you're proclaiming your own goodness, you messed up already. But stability comes from the man of integrity where he knows, man, I am faithful because he has been faithful. And so ending where we started with Job, as we mentioned Job before, tremendous troubles, right? Trauma, big, big, bad things that happened to him. And how did Job endure? How did he make it through all that physical pain, emotional pain, his own wife telling him to curse God and die, his friends that were giving him terrible advice? How did Job make it through all that? He had integrity. And don't take my word for it, right? Go to Job real quick. Job, and we'll end here. Job chapter 2. Now, we have this perspective. Job didn't have this information. When Job starts feeling sick and he starts getting boils on his skin and his stuff starts, you know, his stocks crash basically, right? All his cattle starts dying. When all these bad things started happening to Job, he didn't have any warning. He didn't know what happened a little bit before all those things. In Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Job is right before Psalms. Psalms is the big book in the Bible. So if you kind of open it, you land right in Psalms. You go back one chapter, one book. You got Job. And in Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence do you come? Satan answered. And the Lord said, from going to and from the earth. And from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan. The Lord said to Satan. 
Have you considered my servant Job? It's like, Lord, come on, man. Did Job know about this conversation? And he didn't. If he would have known, he would have been like, oh, yeah, Lord, you're throwing me under the bus here, man. What's up with this? But God had, God had a perspective that was going to blow everyone's mind away. But there was some things to go through, right? So he said, the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? And there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his, and there's that word, integrity. Although you enticed me against him to destroy him without cause. I mean, imagine if you were the subject of that conversation. Apart from knowing what happens to Job, it's like, hey, God's talking about me. He said, hey, that guy, the man of integrity. (laughs) It's like, Lord, talk about me a little less, man. Come on. And so we get those details. Job didn't have them. But we get that perspective. Wait a minute. God's going to do something amazing. God just said to, to, to Satan, hey, why don't you consider my servant Job? Now, we know that. So we read the story and we're going, something has to happen here. God was aware of all of the things Job went through. I mean, it was based on a conversation he had, right? Based on something he said. What if that's the perspective for your life? When you go through those bad things, those very difficult, hard times, what if they came because they said, hey, uh, trying to think of someone's name that's not here, but Bobby over here, if you're Bobby, sorry. Bobby, have you considered Bobby? Now Bobby's going to go, no, now Bobby's going to suffer, whoever Bobby is here. But, But what if you're going through that because the Lord's like, hey, this guy right here, he's a man of integrity. Harvey, that's the name we used to use, Harvey. What if God said, hey, have you considered Harvey? He's a man of integrity. And now you're going through things, and it's because God said, I, I've seen his heart. Now, Satan, um, Satan thought that he can get to Job through very difficult earthly trials. But Job's mindset was that one of the battle mindset, not the struggle mindset. He was that, Job's mindset was, I'm not cursing my God. I'm not denying my God. That's a battle. That's, he, the, reason, the reason the Lord said, you see this man of integrity, is because he had already been tested, right? In Job 2, verse 4, Satan answered, or at the end of it, let me see, Job 2, verse 4 through 9. Sorry, verse 9, right? His wife said, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? He was a man of integrity. This whole book is about integrity. He said, curse God and die, his wife told him. Job 27, if you go towards, more towards the end of Job, Job 27 Verse 5, it says, Far it be from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. How did Job get through those battles? How did Job, because, man, there was integrity. He He knew that's the direction. That's the place I'm going. It's the battle that I'm in, but I know where I'm going. 
Look at this insight from Job in Job 31. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Or you're close by, you could turn there. And it wasn't about his conveniences and what was comfortable for him. It was about his covenant. Job 31 said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance from the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know. And again, integrity, my integrity. So take away all the extra choices in your life. It's you choosing the Lord and only that direction which is forward. Not getting out of the problem, not going backwards, not not realizing all the things that have been done to you. The only way out is to go through the valley, but it says, fear not, God is with you. And once we, like Job, decide to walk with integrity, God will meet us there and he'll provide the strength to keep that commitment that covenant, he did it for Job. He did it for all those amazing stories in the Bible that we look up to these guys. A person with a heavenly and eternal perspective is a happier person. You can go to Colossians. You don't have to go there, but just for homework, read Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. The worship team can come up. We will close in worship. And as they come up, just think about, think about the things that are disappointing. And it's all things of this world. It's the junk of this world that always disappoints. When you think it's going to promise you something, right? All the money in the world, all the power in the world, all of it. I mean, not just like some, but like all of it. There's a couple of, of famous uh, musicians right now. One guy in specific who's a, a reggaeton artist. And it seems like God is doing a work, but I saw a little snippet. And he says, all the th- I had all the things of the world. I had the fame. I have money, cars, notoriety. And he's like, none of it, none of it did anything for me. That's that's the deceit of the enemy. That's his tactic. So you can look at the world, all the promises of the world, and they never come through. Heaven. Heaven never, never, never disappoints. It's our hope. That's what we could be sure of. It's very real, and it's our very real and present hope. Let's pray, and as we worship, just Wherever you are in your battle, maybe you are doing great right now. Man, you're in training. Maybe you're a parent and, and you've had the perspective to make it really, 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 really easy for, for your kids that they won't have to pasar trabajo. Man, I, I mean, at least go to the Word of God and say, Lord, help me get that compass so I can know my direction. Then be a person of integrity, saying, that's the direction I'm going. Don't be wishy-washy, going, oh, I'm going to go with the world's perspective and 
some things with the Lord's, but, you know, I just kind of, I mean, if, if God is true, if the world is true, if this is truth, that's the direction I'm going. Any information I get that is different, that's not where I'm going to base my life on. You walk that direction. Maybe you're in the battle and, and, and you, you know how hard it is. And, and you feel like there's no way something good can happen through this. It's just terrible. You don't, you, you, your perspective sees crooked lines. But it's, it's straight. God's, God's doing. He's working. He's working. Let's pray. And as we worship, just may God get you closer. May God put you in that right path. May he help you through the battle. And... Uh, we would be able to encourage each other. Let's pray. God, thank you for the battles in our life, for the difficult times. Lord, help us to not run away from them as if they're no good or as if they're a battle that is undefeatable. Lord, God, we want to walk every day of our life uh, Lord, to follow after you with our whole heart. Uh, Lord, to be a person of integrity. To realize that our perspective is all skewed and messed up. And that, Lord, you're a good God. And, uh, Lord, you want to uh, bless us and give us life abundantly. Lord, thank you. and We worship you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>